0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Thank you very much, Brian, for your prayers for our congregation and for the preaching of the Word. Uh, Parents, if you want to dismiss your children for Children's Church, you can do that now. Jessica is there at the center door. So, kids, you can head back there. Uh, the rest of you can open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a paperback Bible underneath one of the chairs in front of you. Um, we look at the scriptures in some detail, so it will help you to have a Bible open. Passages on page 488 of the paperback Bible. Um, just a couple things to mention before we start first of all i want you to know that we are aware of the difficulty with the screen Uh, to my left that kind of keeps going on and off Um, there's an issue with a a part up here near the projector i'm told and so um, we're we're on it we're working on it and trying to get that repaired uh, as quickly as we can so thanks for your patience with that i also want to let you know about a couple of studies that are available this summer um, I rem- mentioned last week and we'll remind you today that uh, there will be a study at our house pastor uh, at Pastor Mary at Mary's and my house um, on Thursday night starting this week It's going to be basics of the Christian faith. Um, we're going to be looking at videos by Sinclair Ferguson. We'll watch the videos about 20 minutes and then we'll discuss the content so, great reminder for people who have been Christians for a long time, but also very good for people who may be new to the faith. Um, You're invited to join us. Again, that starts this Thursday night, 6.30. We just need to know who's coming, so if you could please sign up on the sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center, we'd appreciate that. Um, There's also going to be a women's study coming up, and that's going to start Friday, and this is a digital study. It's going to be an online interactive study. Um, and um, you are asked to register at the link that is provided in the email, the Lifeline email that was sent this morning. So take a look at that. Ladies, if you'd like to join that, um, you can sign up that way, or you can call the office during the week. If you want to get on this email list, you might not know what I'm talking about when I say Lifeline email list. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Um, That's a good use for the connection card that uh, Joe mentioned earlier. Get that out, put your name down there, and just indicate that you want to be on the email list. We'll make sure that you get added to that. But that women's study is starting Friday of this week. I don't know if you uh, saw this in the news. Uh, This has been a couple years now, back in 2019. But there was, um, it actually made national news. It was about a, a church in Uh, California, a church called Bethel Church, some of you might be familiar with, very, very large church. But in that church, there was um, a young couple that had a a two-year-old girl, and the the girl passed away suddenly and surprisingly. And so uh, the the church entered into a, a kind of like a praying campaign for this young girl. I mean, the girl had been pronounced dead, but they decided that they would pray for a miracle that they would pray that the Lord would resurrect this child from the dead. And so for a whole week, they, they prayed, they got the word out, they raised all sorts of money, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, and she was not resurrected. And eventually the parents kind of got to the point where they decided, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, and so they, they talked about a transition then from prayer for resurrection to a memorial service for this couple's young daughter. Terribly sad story. I'm not really sure what the cause of death was. Um, but, but it introduces for us this, this question or this topic of, of healing and miraculous healings and um, what we should really expect with regard to, to healings. Uh, there is something among some Christian circles It's called faith healing, and there are some people who call themselves faith healers. And these are people who will, through their prayers and maybe even certain gestures, will call upon the Lord for specific divine intervention to bring about healing to diseases and and disabilities. And uh, it's very controversial. You know, some some people really react strongly to this. For some people, this is a great hope. For others, um, these faith healers are seen as uh, phonies and charlatans and... In some cases, they have proven to be exactly that, quite frankly, but um, a Pew Research poll back in 2008 found that 34% of Americans have either experienced or witnessed some kind of divine healing. 34%, I mean, independent of their religious affiliation. That number goes up among evangelicals to 50%. 50% of evangelicals have experienced or witnessed some kind of divine healing. <clears throat> the number goes up even uh, more when you talk about Mormons. About 69% of Mormons claim to have experienced or witnessed some kind of divine healing. So, this is, this is not unusual at all. Um, but you might wonder, where does this whole idea come from, this idea of faith healing, miraculous healing? Well, it comes from largely the New Testament, comes from the Scriptures. It comes particularly from what we see about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, because Jesus on many occasions performed miraculous healings. And that includes the passage that we're looking at today. And so we are continuing here through our series on the book of Mark. We're calling this series, The Servant King, referring to Jesus, the Servant King. And Last week, you might remember we talked about Jesus and authority, and we saw Jesus' authority in his teaching. We saw Jesus exercise authority over demons, and we saw Jesus exercise authority over illness. And so, kind of, this topic of healing was introduced even last week. Well, we're picking up where we left off last week, and these healings are continuing. And so, that's what we're thinking about today that is Jesus and healing. Jesus and healing. So if you're able to stand, please do so. And I'm going to read Mark 1, starting at verse 32, again, where we left off last week. And I'll read to the end of the chapter. Mark 1, 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, that's Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Holy Spirit, would you come and please open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your written word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So what are we learning here today about uh, this topic of of healing. This, of course, is not all there is to be said about this topic in, in these short verses that I just read for you, but uh, there are some things that we can pull from this. So, let's first of all consider what does this issue of healing tell us just about people, p- people in general. I mean, here's one thing that's true <clears throat> about people in general, and that is that that we, we love a spectacle. Uh, we, we're, we're drawn to miracles. We Kind of have a hunger for the spectacular. When spectacular things happen, there are people there to watch and talk about it. And what Mark does here in these passages is he draws our attention to two different kinds of people. There's just kind of you know, generic crowds of people, and then there's also specifically the disciples. And so, first of all, he, he draws our attention to these, these crowds. So, going to verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So they, that's just the the crowds of people are waiting until sundown. Now, the reason why is because, if you remember from last week, this is all taking place on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work. But at sundown, the Sabbath officially ends, probably around 6 p.m. And so people are then able to exercise, to do work, and that would include carrying people, perhaps who couldn't walk, bringing them to a healer like Jesus. And remember from last week, we already saw some of these miraculous healings begin. Remember in the synagogue, Jesus cast this demon out of the man right in front of everybody, so everybody's seen this, very public thing. He also healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. That was more of a private thing, but word is getting out that Jesus is a kind of a faith healer. And so people are bringing their sick and demon-possessed to him. And the verse 33 even tells us that the whole city was gathered at the door where Jesus was. Of course, that's hyperbole. It's not every single individual in the city. But the point is there are a lot of people, a lot of crowds, an enormous group of people, and they're seeking out Jesus and the reason why is because they have loved ones who are sick and possessed by demons, and they want a miracle. They're, 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 they're feeling hopeless. They haven't seen any success in finding any relief from these diseases. And this is, of course, totally understandable. Whenever anybody gets sick, what we want is to be well. And we also know that this is part of the consequence of living in a fallen world, a sin-stained, broken world where disease and deformities and pain and death persist, bringing sorrow to millions of people on a regular basis as part of living in a fallen world. And so that's what's going on with these crowds. They're overwhelmed with their sickness. They think that Jesus can help, and so they're bringing their sick to him. But notice what happens here as Jesus responds. How does he respond? It would seem to me, from the way Jesus behaves here, that Jesus actually does not want to be known as a miracle worker, that he does not want to be known as a faith healer. One of the reasons I say that is because if you look throughout the Gospels, Very rarely, if ever, does Jesus initiate a healing. He doesn't really go after people to heal them. He's always responding to people who bring the sick to him. He's always responding to those things. He's not really initiating them. But we get a better picture of this later on, at the end of this passage, after the leper is healed. We'll get to that in just a moment, so I'm skipping ahead. But after the leper is healed, Notice what Jesus says to him, verses 43 and 44. The leper is healed, and it says Jesus sternly charged him. That word sternly means he snorted, more literally. What what this means is that it's it's a, a very strong, almost a rebuke, that there's almost a sense that Jesus is kind of angry here. So he's just very authoritatively, sternly, telling this leper, sending him away, saying to him in verse 44, don't tell anyone about this. Do not go out spreading all this information to people, telling them that you were miraculously healed healed by me. Jesus does not want this. Why? Why would this be? Why would Jesus not want the word to be spread like that? And why did he go out and continue to do healings anyway, we might ask. What what is it that he's concerned about? And, And I think the answer, and the commentators would agree with this, that the reason is because Jesus does not want this excessive, misdirected enthusiasm about who he is and why he's come. He does not want the reputation of a wonder worker. There's an example of this in John chapter 6. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, a miraculous event in itself, and all these people started coming after Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus says to him, truly, truly, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, and that is he's referring to signs that would indicate that he indeed was the Son of God and the Messiah. He says, you're not coming to me for that reason. You're coming to me because you ate your fill of loaves. You're coming to me because you got a full meal for free. You're coming to me because your hunger's been satisfied. You're coming to me because you got your physical needs met. You're not coming to me because you got your spiritual needs met. And that's very often the case with crowds of people, the masses. They they, they don't always come to Jesus for the right reasons. That might apply to us as well. And you can see how things go wrong because what happens at the end of the passage, verse 45, what does this leper do? He just completely defies what Jesus told him to do and went out and began to talk freely about it. (laughs) I mean, how often are we that way, right? You know, I mean, God does something wonderful for us and we just go right out and disobey before the day is even done, you know? We get what we want and we go on and live our lives the way we want. He goes out, he begins to talk freely about it to spread the news and then what's the result? Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. He was out in desolate places. He couldn't do the things that he was intending to do because he was so distracted by these crowds coming with their misdirected enthusiasm looking for miracles and a show of miraculous, spectacular strength. So that, that, that's one thing we see here. These crowds are coming to Jesus, but Jesus is not so pleased with the reason why they're coming to him. And he wants this to be kind of quiet. But then we also see the disciples This is another example here of the case that I'm making that Jesus really did not want to be known as a faith healer or a miracle worker. Because look at this, going back to verse 35, um, after all these people were brought to Jesus, the the day passes, the the next morning comes, and and we see that Jesus is out in this kind of desolate place. And the disciples, they know where he is, and so they pursue him. And and you look at verse um, 36. Simon and those who were with him, they, they find him, and, and they come, and they say, Jesus, look, everybody is looking for you. There's all these crowds of people out here, and, and they want you to do things for them. They want you to heal them. They want to see a miracle, and, and you can imagine the disciples maybe saying, you know, look, Jesus, we have got to strike while the iron's hot here, I mean, here's an opportunity to capitalize on the success that we have had in our ministry. I mean, here's a way to really promote our name and really get known and really become popular. It's time to capitalize on this, Jesus. Come on, let's go. There's a show to do here. You can do more spectacular things. And what does Jesus say? Nah, not interested. I'm not interested in that. Look, look look what he says. Let us go to the next towns. <laughs> I mean, here's the opportunity Jesus has to do all these r- miraculous things, and, and Jesus says no. And, and in fact, the word for town there is specifically uh, chosen. Let's go to the next town. It's a word that means not city. He's in Capernaum, a pretty big place. Here, Jesus is leaving the big city and going to the small town. It's like he is kind of trying to withdraw himself from all of the attention and the spectacular miracles that people are looking for him to do. So the disciples seem to kind of get it wrong too. Friends, here I think is the challenge that is presented to us here. That very often when people consider Christianity, they consider the claims of Jesus, they they think of Jesus, they think of becoming a Christian as if, as if, this is like one among many choices about how I can be happiest. You know, it's like you go to the store, you go down the cereal aisle, and there's just all of these choices, and what you're looking for is the cereal that meets your needs and tastes the best and that you want. Not that there's anything wrong with any of the other cereals, but you just want what's best for you. And sometimes people look at Christianity that way. It's like, is this this way of living going to make me happy? Is this is this going to be a way to fix all my problems? Um, Is it possible maybe Jesus can be like a kind of a genie and a lamp for me, and I can just offer up my three wishes and he'll get me what I want. When I get in a bind and when I get in trouble, I'll just call on Jesus and he'll bring down a miracle and fix it all. I mean, that's the way a lot of people think of Christianity. They think of Jesus that way. They think of religion that way. It's just a way to get what we want. But Jesus, friends, will not be a tool for your goals. Jesus will not be a way for you to accomplish your dreams and aspirations. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. You you don't use Jesus to get what you want. You come to Jesus because He is what you want. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus won't fix some of your problems. This doesn't mean that Jesus might not do miraculous things. This doesn't mean that Jesus won't make you happy. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there are different motivations for why we should consider Christianity. For instance, C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity as, as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else that. Like Christianity is the truth, is what he's saying. Christianity is what makes sense of life. That's why I believe it. Friends, that should be the chief reason you come to be a Christian, is because it's true. You don't have a choice. You are conforming to reality when you become a Christian. Jesus isn't just something that you put in your back pocket to pull out when you have trouble. The wonderful thing about Jesus here in His mercy, you notice, is that He heals people anyway, even when he knows they're coming to Him perhaps with not the best motives. And it says that um, in verse 34, He healed many who were sick with various diseases. That, that's the mercy of Jesus. But friends, let's be careful about what we're expecting Jesus to do for us. You come to Jesus because you want relationship with the Creator of the universe. You come to Jesus because you need your sins wiped away. That's why you come primarily. And we'll see what he does in your life after that. And he might make you very happy, uh, but he might introduce some trouble and difficulty as well. And that's one of the biggest dangers of coming to Jesus, expecting him to be a miracle worker, because if the miracles start drying up, you start questioning whether this stuff is even true. That's what we learn about the crowds and why they're coming to Jesus and the effect or the relation this has to healing. So let's consider secondly now what healing tells us about the kingdom. What does healing tell us about the kingdom? Remember, uh, a couple of sermons ago when we opened this series, we saw a very important verse in chapter 1 This kind of sets the tone for the whole gospel of Mark when Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel." And so, here what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is here. With the arrival of Jesus, the kingdom is here. Remember, the kingdom is the sovereign rule of God, that the kingdom is, is a state of affairs where God is ruling in such a way that righteousness, peace, and justice prevail. And this begins in the hearts of every single person who trusts in Jesus, and then it flows outwardly from us, the church. Remember the diagrams that we saw a few weeks ago? It spreads out through the kingdom and influences the whole world so that eventually what we are looking for is a state that's called shalom, this what Cornelius Plantica describes as universal flourishing wholeness and delight. The end of all sorrow and pain and sin that is promised to us in the kingdom as it slowly advances and takes root in our world. And what we're seeing with the healings is Jesus' way of saying the kingdom is here. He's healing as a way of showing that he's turning back, rolling back, the forces of evil that have brought sin, sickness, pain, sorrow, death into our world. That's what the healings are really showing. The kingdom is here. The powers of evil are being rolled back. So that's a big part of what Mark is about. Jesus is saying the kingdom is here because I am here. But now here's the question. How does that kingdom continue to advance and move forward in the world? How does that happen? What what resources do we use for that? I mean, is this like a military thing? You know, we get our armies and we fight non-christian nations? I mean, the church has made that mistake in the past. Is that how the kingdom advances? Does it advance by getting a new emperor on the throne or a new president in the White House, and then we know the kingdom will advance? Is that how it happens? Does, Does it happen when you win your argument on social media? Is that how the kingdom advances? No. Here's how we see the kingdom advancing. In, in two different ways here that are just going to be so anticlimactic to you. You're waiting for me to come up with this, you know, clever little secret, this new thing you've never heard before about how the kingdom's going to advance. Well, here's how the, the first reason, the first tool, the first means by which the kingdom advances here is very simple prayer. Prayer. When the disciples pursued Jesus the next day, the next morning, Remember, they found him in this desolate place, um, but, but what was he doing? Look at verse 35. Verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, so again, this is after that busy day of healing the day before, still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. That, that word for prayed, it's in a verb tense that suggests that it was prolonged prayer. He was there for some time, Praying, communing with his Father, asking the Lord to bring in the kingdom. That's the very first part of the Lord's prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what we're supposed to be praying. That's how Jesus said, You and I are to pray, to ask for the kingdom to come. That's what Jesus is doing. He could be back down off the mountain doing a bunch of healings in order to advance the kingdom, but what does he do? He says, no, I'm going to withdraw, and I'm going to go away, and I'm going to pray. Friends, do you believe that? Do you believe that the kingdom comes not by the spectacular, amazing, thrilling next big thing? Do you believe instead that the kingdom comes when God's people get on their knees in private and as a community and plead with God for him to bring it? That's how it comes. This is what Jonathan Edwards said. There is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ as by prayer. Now, I'm not suggesting that Healings don't have anything to do with the kingdom. They they, they do, as I just said. They're a sign of the arrival of the kingdom. But if it were all about healings, I don't think Jesus would be withdrawing to pray. There's a challenge here to all of us also who think I'm too busy to pray because Jesus was pretty busy. The whole city was at his door the night before, and he was healing people all day long. It was a busy day. If there was one person who had the opportunity to offer up the excuse, busy day yesterday, sleeping in today, it wasn't Jesus. He's up in the morning praying. A couple practical considerations here. We see something about the time of Jesus' prayer, obviously very early. The sun's not even up, and he's praying the timing, but we also see something about the location of Jesus' prayer. He, he goes to a secluded spot, a desolate place, someplace away from all distractions. Now, I don't think we need to push this so literally as to say that you have to pray before the sun comes up, and you need to go to a mountaintop to pray. That That would not be a fair interpretation, but the principle involved, I think, is important for us to consider. The timing early in the morning, I think that's just Jesus way of saying I'm going to seize the day before the day seizes me. Cuz you know what it's like, you know, you wake up, you, you think I'll I'll pray during lunch. I'll pray before dinner. I'll pray before I go to bed and something happens and you don't get to it. I mean, how often does that happen? I mean, good intentions, I'll pray later. The day gets busy, you get swallowed up in your responsibilities, it doesn't happen. This is just a practical way of getting to prayer before other things get to you. And the location, a secluded spot, no, we don't have to pray on a mountaintop, but you do need to find a place to pray where you're not interrupted. You need quietness. To, to pray while you're making dinner, to pray while you're exercising is, is fine. That's good. I mean, you should, and sometimes it feels like that's the only opportunity, but you need to get away. You need to put the cell phone in the other room. You need to be in a place where you're not distracted so it's just you and God communing together. I mean, if there's anybody we would think who didn't need to pray, it would be Jesus, right? But if he needed to pray... You and I do also. So, uh, here's how the kingdom is sustained by, by prayer. But here's another way the kingdom goes forward it's sustained by prayer and it is proclaimed by preaching. Because when the disciples find Jesus in this place and he, he declines to come down to perform more healings, what, what did he do instead? Look back at verse 38. The disciples say, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Jesus says, nah, let's go on to the next town. Why? That I may preach there, for that is why I came out. That is why I came out. What does he mean, that is why I came out? That's why he came to Capernaum, or that's why he came into the world in his incarnation? Well, if we look at Luke's account in chapter 4, this is Luke describing the same thing that Mark is talking about, but Luke gives us a little additional information. This is the words of Jesus, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So, in Luke's view, what Jesus is saying is that this is why I was sent into the world, to preach I mean, of course, we know that Jesus was sent into the world to go to the cross and die for our sins and be resurrected. He was sent for that purpose, but these two things are not mutually exclusive. He was also sent to preach. That's what Jesus considered to be a main priority of advancing the kingdom. He said, Mark 1 the kingdom is here. Believe the gospel, repent that, that's, that, that was the message of the kingdom. And now what Jesus is saying here is that's what I want to tell people. I want to proclaim this. I want to go out and tell people to repent and believe the gospel. Apparently, that is a more effective way of bringing in the kingdom than miraculous healings. Preaching the gospel. The scriptures make a repeated testimony of the centrality of preaching. Acts 5, every day in the temple from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is what I'm going to preach to you. Can't wait to preach to you. This is why I'm here, to preach to you. 2 Timothy, Paul's word to a young minister, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season when it seems like it's popular and when it doesn't. Always, in other words, don't give up, don't stop preaching. And Peter says also, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is bad news for people who don't like sermons, (laughs) for people who resent being preached at. Uh, this is not my idea. I'm a preacher. It might sound like I'm tooting my own horn here. That's not really what I'm doing. I'm just trying to declare to you what the scriptures say. The scriptures make a priority of preaching. Seems so old fashioned, doesn't it? Seems so ineffective. What? The world's going to be changed when someone stands up and says, Repent and believe? Really? Well, maybe that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 talks about the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What God says is that it's the weak things of the world that shame the strong. It's the foolish things of the world that shame the wise. Preaching seems like folly to the world, but is one of the primary means that the kingdom is brought in. Repent and believe the gospel. That's where the kingdom begins. Turn from your unbelief. Believe that Jesus is the Savior sent for your sins. Believe in what he did on the cross and shedding his blood for you. Believe in his resurrection from the dead. You're an agent of the kingdom when you believe that. And you're an agent of the kingdom when you call on others to believe that. So that's what healing tells us about the kingdom. One last thing. Let's consider what healing tells us about Jesus. Finally, we come to this uh, most famous part of this text, the healing of the leper. Um, This is what most people are familiar with, and we see that begin in verse 40. This leper comes to Jesus. A bold move. (laughs) Just that the the leper is coming is in itself something that should surprise you. Lepers are not supposed to approach people. So this is, this is bold. He, he comes, though, to, to Jesus. He is so eager for healing, and he implores Jesus. He, he kneels before him. Uh, so you, you got a shocking thing. The people watching this must have just been astonished that this leper would draw so close. You know, le- leprosy is a, it's a broad term for a number of different kinds of skin diseases. Um, it was the most dreaded of all diseases at this time, it was considered painful and disfiguring, and um, considered to be incurable. It could result in just the um, the the, the uh, just kind of the wasting away of of the limbs. I mean, we don't know what this guy looked like. He might have had a nub for an arm, or maybe half a leg. It could have been a horrible sight for people to see, but he comes to Jesus. And we have to have a certain heart of compassion for anybody with leprosy, because we know from the purity laws in Leviticus, as Brandon was talking to us about earlier, that lepers would have been considered social outcasts, and that was by decree of the purity laws. So like here in Leviticus, it says the leprous person shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. By the way, if you want more information on on Leviticus, Pastor Brian has uh, video lectures available at our website uh, going through the whole book of Leviticus. If you want to know more about this, I would recommend that to you. Uh, This might seem maybe a a little bit harsh, uh, but I think we all kind of remember maybe recently a time when a contagious disease was all around us. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember the steps and the measures that were taken to kind of keep us from all getting infected? Infected. I mean, recall that. Uh, so it's not really that un- unusual here, right? This isn't supposed to be unkind. This is just a way of protecting the community from also contracting this disease. So th- this is the leper. I mean, he is an outcast. He lives alone. He probably looks awful. He's in pain and he comes to Jesus because he wants to be healed. And he comes in humility. He says in verse 40, he, he, he kneels. He, he says, if you will, if, if, if you will. I, I don't presume upon it, Jesus. Maybe you have no interest in a leper like me. But if you will, if you will, make me clean. And here we see maybe the most remarkable Point in this whole story. Verse 41 moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched the leper. I wonder how long it had been since that man had been touched by anyone. When's the last time he had a hug from his wife or an embrace from his children? And he shook hands with his friends or even had a tap on the shoulder from a stranger. He probably hadn't been touched in the longest time. I think probably Jesus knew that. You know, Jesus didn't have to touch him, did he? I mean, Jesus speaks the word and things happen. He didn't have, it's not like this is some necessary action he needs to take to heal him. It's because Jesus is filled with compassion knows the man needs a touch, reaches down and touches him. And think of the risk for Jesus, at least what others might have been thinking as they were observing this. Jesus is going to get leprosy. At the very least, Jesus is going to now be regarded as unclean. The uncleanness of this leper is going to now be transferred to Jesus, and he's going to be unclean. What is he doing? That might have been what people were thinking, might have been what his disciples were thinking. But something very unusual happens. The very opposite of what everybody was worried about happened. Jesus reaches out and touches him. And although that could have made him unclean, what the touch actually did was make the leper clean. It's like Jesus' holiness and cleanliness and purity just swallowed up the uncleanness of this leper. It just overcame. It just transcended the uncleanliness of of this man. And this gives us this wonderful little peek into the cross. Because at the cross of Jesus, he didn't just take the risk that he might be unclean. He, He willingly became unclean by taking upon him your sin, your filth, your shame, and your guilt. And from that work, gave to you all of his purity and all of his righteousness. It's what we call the great reversal. (laughs) The leper's uncleanliness did not infect Jesus. His righteousness blessed him. And this is exactly what we see here in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a Savior. What a Savior. Not only giving his righteousness, but meeting that leper where he needed to be met, and reaching out and touching him. Friends, I think there's a challenge here for us, and I would just ask you this. What kind of risk are you willing to take to serve others? to meet others' needs? Is it your first priority to protect yourself, to make sure you don't get into any trouble, to make sure you don't lose any money, to make sure that you never get ill, to make sure that you're always comfortable? Are are you always setting up walls and hedges to protect yourself? I mean, Jesus took the risk here. He he reached out. He, He touched. Will you extend your touch? Enter into the mess of other people's lives. Are you willing to do that, even at the prospect of potential loss? Here's an opportunity we actually have um, coming up this Saturday. Reach Yorktown Food Drive is coming up. New Life has an opportunity to do this twice a year, June and December, so it'll be a while before we can do this. But um, 845 to 11 a.m. address is there. I think we need like eight volunteers from New Life. So there's an invitation to you to... To touch people who are in need. But I want you to notice one last thing here as as we close. I want you to notice how quickly this leprosy left this man, verse 42. and, And here's this word that Mark loves, and we see it over and over again. Immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. And you know what? When you go to Jesus with your sins and confess them to him and ask him for cleansing. That's exactly how fast your sins are pardoned. Immediately. There is no delay. Jesus doesn't have to think about it and ruminate on it. Immediately, you are clean before him. But friends, you have to come to him. Just as the leper came to Jesus, you you have to go to Jesus. You have to say to him, Jesus, I'm unclean. My sin makes me filthy in your sight, but I believe that you will make me clean because you have died for me and risen from the dead for me. Will you do it, Jesus? That's what you need to do. And when you go to Jesus like that, you know what he says every time? I will. Be clean. And that's the healing that we all long for the most and that we all need the most. God in heaven, thank you so much for a great Savior, a Savior of mercy, a Savior of compassion. Thank you for a Savior who says to us every time we call out to you for pardon, I will. Lord, would you please make us bold to approach you, and would you help us, O Lord, to be a people who are willing to enter into the mess that we see around us, Father, knowing that this is a broken world, but also knowing that your kingdom is advancing, and one day universal flourishing wholeness and delight will be the reality when you come again, Jesus. We long for that time and pray these things in your name. Amen.